My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and, really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Verdino. I am here with Jeff Livingston, and this is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. How are you doing today, Jeff? Good, my friend. I think this is actually the first episode. This is our 21st episode, but the first one where you're not wearing black and I'm not wearing black. You might be right. You might be right. It's it's a colorful day. We're dressed in our fall foliage. That's right. And we're we're, uh, we're celebrating the end of November. And you know what else we're celebrating, Jeff? ChatGPT's one year anniversary. Oh my God! Absolutely. If you are listening to this on November 29th, we are recording on the 28th, and the 30th is, of course, the one year anniversary, as Jeff says, of the release of ChatGPT. And the world has never been the same. We haven't looked back. We have been in a state of nonstop uproar and amazement ever since. Right. <laughs> and. and- and we're not going to make it the focus of our episode. We're the only ones this week. <laughs> well, you never know. You know it's about. To, you know it's bound to. Yeah, it's bound to come up a time or two or ten or a hundred and ten. But this is a special episode. We're coming up to the end of the calendar year as well, and we have two special episodes: today's and our next episode, which will be our last episode of the year before we take a little bit of a break. Where today we're going to take a look back and do a year in review: the things that popped up, the big twenty. 
2023 trends and news stories and whatever else for us stood out about the year in AI. And next week, just to give a little bit of foreshadowing or, or next episode, right. we will be taking a look ahead. We will have a special guest. I don't know if we're going to name our special guest just yet, but it'll be an interesting episode. Special guest, three people. One will not be bald. That's the only hint I'm going to give. Thank and God. Thank God. And we will be looking ahead and making some predictions about the year 2024. But in the meantime, it's all about looking back at the year since the launch of ChatGPT, right. 2023, and sharing our ideas of uh, what is worth remembering, good, bad, or otherwise, about that year in AI. Ooh. Before we dive in, because I'm going to throw to you, Jeff, in just a minute, let me remind everybody if if you are watching this on YouTube, smash the like, check out the channel, be sure to follow us, subscribe. If you are listening to us on any of your favorite podcast services, be sure to subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We, of course, appreciate it, and it helps others find the content that we put together every couple of weeks. Now... On to the action, my friend. Let's do a little bit of back and forth on this. I'll let you do one, then I'll take one. Sounds and we good. promised each other we're going to keep this episode, I won't say short, but succinct. Right. So for those of you who can't see us, Jeff is now showing us his iPhone. The timer is on. And if any of us go too long, as I have already done in this episode by about 17 minutes, if any of us goes too long, uh, we're going to shut the other one up uh but let's get this thing rolling what's the first thing that you have your eye on as a big story from 2023 right good stuff so let me hit the timer three minutes all right so my first trend is euphoria and the reason why is because when ChatGPT hit and then everybody started really playing with it by, I would say January or February, we were dealing with euphoria with everybody like, Oh my God, this is going to change the world. Every time anybody released anything, AI was big news. Everybody was excited about how it was going to change everything, the nature of business, the nature of work. And I would say that that euphoria was the dominating overriding trend, not just for marketing, but I think for anybody that touched business or technology in general for the first six, seven months of the year. And if I were to, to weigh, you know, like literally like weigh, like what was the meatiest trend of the year? I think that was it. Like there was just, you couldn't sneeze and talk about AI without everybody being like, huh, what does that mean? What do you think? That is interesting. I'm not going to comment on that directly, but I will, um, I will share my number one, absolute number one AI story of the year. Great minds think alike. I didn't say, I didn't say euphoria, but I said the hype. Mm. So, of course, the euphoria is a key component of that hype. But in my view, it was the positive hype, the negative hype, everything in between, the way people and businesses got swept up in that hype, uh, often for better, many times for worse, right? Um, and a lot of the, frankly, idiocy <laughs> that ensued in the wake of that hype, right? There was the whole, um, you know, the, the rise of the prompt engine 
engineer, the crypto bros becoming <laughs> AI bros, oh right? God. You know, uh. the rise and fall of prompt engineering. The crypto bros became AI bros. Everybody had their, you know, 15 tips for chat GPT. 99% of you are doing it wrong. We had all, <laughs> everything kind of hanging on the rumor mills, right? Uh, whatever happened, there were weeks and weeks and weeks of rumors that people were just getting really, really excited about how big was GPT-4 going to be? When's GPT-5 coming? Uh, all that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of hype. Um, also, there was the negative hype, right? There was the job loss panic, uh, which I think maybe there's an element of truth, but certainly there was that period in time where everything was about the millions upon millions of jobs that were at in eminent risk. There was the panic and the preaching about the end of humankind, the existential risk. You know, but to me, it was all of this hype was really the big story of the year. So, um, you know, so to that end, I think we've kind of hit on the same thing here really in a lot of ways right yeah. this idea that the story was the story of the year regardless of what anybody really did or didn't do you technically have another minute because i did not restart <laughs> well i think i've said everything i need to say about well, that one I, I think it'd be interesting though before we move on to the next round like let, let's like analyze it a little bit like why yeah. did that hype happen and i and i think Beyond the promise of what AI can do, there were a couple of factors. One was the media is absolutely so much weaker than it was when you and I first started cutting our teeth back in the uh, 19th century. And, you know, the reality is, like all jokes aside, you know, the, the media just parrots a lot of the stories. There, there isn't substantive announcement, and at most, they'll ask, like, questions. So, the companies are pretty free to dictate the news cycle, and they've kind of figured out how to use a combination of social media influencers and the media to kind of own it. And then right. part of that problem I felt, too, was some of the larger national media was kind of bought by OpenAI. You know, like they did such a great, and Microsoft, such a great job of deploying PR and like really owning the reporters who didn't do their job like they would have if they were seasoned reporters sure. uh, that they just like drove the wave. Like it was almost like a tsunami that just kind of was unavoidable. Yeah. So, so that's like, I think one of the bigger underlying I think causes. Absolutely. I would agree. I think at the same time, I mean, certainly there was something legitimately new, legitimately it, it revolutionary, right, about yeah. generative AI. Because, you know, we've said it, Every a lot of people have said it, AI itself is not new. Even generative AI, technically speaking, is not new. You can go back to Eliza in, like, the 1950s or whatever. But I think for the first time when people got to actually put their fingers on the keyboard and directly interact with the machine using plain language like they would in a conversation between two people and get something that at least resembles a human response from the machine, that I think for a lot of people was really eye-opening. And a lot of the, the buzz, the hype, the euphoria, is certainly warranted because there's a ton of potential here. At the same time, when you think through the lens of, the, of a marketer, um, and I count myself in this in this category. I know you count yourself in this category, but marketers love shiny object chasing. 
Yes. Um, even if the shiny object turns out to be, you know, a firework and not a firefly, We're we gearheads. love to chase. We love to chase shiny objects, and I think the disappointment that marketers perhaps felt after hype cycle after hype cycle over the last few years web 3 crypto nfts the metaverse and then all of us and everything kind of rose and it fell and crashed and burned and nothing ever happened except people wasted a bunch of money and when this thing hit and it felt real and it was tangible you could see what it was doing with your very own eyes i think there was this almost moment of sort of marketer relief like we'd caught the train the train hadn't caught us and we were about to embark on a journey that could be pretty exciting Sure. Despite the pitfalls, the ups and downs, and some of the bullshittery around the edges, and I actually saw something recently that there's um, some company that's selling a sort of a clip-on, like a ring, I guess, that's got a sixth finger sticking oh out of it. Oh my god! And criminals are using it to get out of, you know, to kind of get away with things or to try to get away with things that when, you know, somebody puts up an image from CCTV in court and the person's got six fingers, they're making the argument that it's not a real image. It was AI generated. Oh, it's fucking brilliant. Part of my French. Sorry. Sorry. Lisa, but, uh, you get me again. I owe you a, a dollar for the curse jar. But, but nonetheless, despite all these things that, you know, a lot of people listening are well right. aware of in terms of the silliness. There is something very real here in a way that some of these more recent trends and hype cycles haven't quite felt that. No, real. there's no question when you put aside from the prompting thing, because I think we all know that prompting, particularly for marketing, is really just like putting your creative brief in there or being thoughtful about your art direction. But when you consider that when you provide the correct data to it in a targeted use that actually the engines are capable of, you get good results, right? So I think we all see the potential on how this could really benefit us, especially as the technology evolves and becomes more mapped towards actual marketing processes. That being said, there are a lot of apps out there promising that they'll revolutionize marketing and they don't. And they don't, right. That's, that's again, an element of the hype cycle that fed into the euphoria that turned out to be misplaced. 100%. Um, you know, so, you know, there's certainly that aspect as well. So there's certainly an element of realism that needs to be factored into anything you're thinking about in 2023 for the little bit of the year we have left or, of course, into 2024. Are we All ready right. for the next one, Jeff? Yes, I led with one. You should lead with two. Uh, all right. So this actually is in a way related. If the hype story is about, uh oh, it's six, two minutes and fifty six seconds. I can't do it. If the <laughs> if the if if you know our if the story of the year in my sense is the hype. My second big point is about 
the I guess the counterpoint of that, which is the actual the action. And what I mean by that is the generative AI horse race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no denying that OpenAI kind of shot the fi- you know the starting gun a year ago, um, and they set the pace with the kind of typical Silicon Valley move fast and break things kind of roadmap. Just push the product, push it, push it, push it, push it, push it. Right, breaking they're breaking Sacha's reputation. Right, they're breaking exactly a lot of things. They're breaking. They're breaking my heart. (laughs) (laughs) But um, you know, so but beyond OpenAI, obviously, I think you know this was a warning shot. Anybody that was building, let's say, a foundational model, all of a sudden felt the pressure to release, to commercialize, to get into a cycle of constant refreshes and updates and um, and innovations uh, that really kind of created this very dynamic market where almost to a fault and certainly almost too much for anybody, any one of us to keep a track of, keep track of and to make sense of, you know, there is almost a new product or a new feature or a new functionality or a new capability every day. Right. Uh, but the fact that we now have, I don't know what, a half dozen legitimate, viable LLM foundation models, not just open AIs, obviously, but Claude 2 and, or I don't know what they're calling the new Claude 2, Claude 2 Turbo Plus. Um, yeah, but we've got the Claude. 2.1. Right, is that it? It's, they went with the straightforward old name. School. It what it is. They're like old right? school, not <laughs> But we've got, but we've got, you know, we've got Claude. We've got Meta, who has obviously an open source model. Google's been criticized for being slow, ironically, but you know they're rolling I'd stuff out and right they're approach, going yeah. to right, and they're gonna they're gonna hit hard. And when they do, I think that's gonna shake the market. Uh, and they had a misstep. They had a sure. bad misstep. Sure, with hard. Right, right, absolutely. You you know, and Apple, which people feel are kind of sitting back on their heels and forgetting, Apple was by years not the first smartphone to the market. But when they introduced the iPhone, they sure as hell changed that market. Right? Oh, yeah. So you've got all the big players building foundational models. <laughs> I think they've been forced into action. Um, and, of course, it has brought us all this innovation of people building on and around those fina- f- uh, foundation models. So, it, you know, I think that's my number two is this horse race of innovation. I did it. I did it. I did, <laughs> did it. it. I think that's a good I think that's a good trend. I do think that we're really uh I did a one year anniversary article and I do feel like it's an open horse race, you know? But I do think it's the field versus, right? Like you yeah. clearly have a front runner. They're the Yankees of AI. I hate them. I'm sure you love the Yankees because you're from New York. I hate you. <laughs> but, you know, all jokes aside, it, it really is like the field versus open AI right now until somebody takes that leadership position. Because they've, in spite of some of their missteps, they've stayed in front. And that's because they are so masterful at the hype part, mm-hmm. trend one. Absolutely. All right. Let's go with my number two is actually fake AI. And what I mean by fake AI is all the shrink-wrapped horse shit that everybody's been putting out there and everybody bolting on GPT. Hello, all of you CRM vendors and everybody and their mother where you can highlight a piece of text, put in a call to the GPT engine, and get your uh, generative AI text. So we've seen a lot, a lot 
many, many of these startup announcements, and we've added AI announcements to various products, various technology platforms, various, uh, you know, even some of the um, uh, lead generating platforms like Sixth Sense. Uh, I've, I've seen Zoom Info, I think, is doing this now. Like everybody and their mother now offers AI. We have AI, and they often. Yep put it in their own little wrapper and branding. But in reality, they're just using ChatGPT on their site, or maybe they're using Claude or something else. More more likely, it's usually GPT. And um, it, it's not really anything new or substantive. It's like everybody putting Discus on their website and saying, hey, we've, we've launched commenting. You know, right. and okay, that's great. So you can integrate it into your site. I mean, and that's the beauty of APIs, right? Where you can do things like that. Sure. But at the same time, is it really something new? Are you really adding value here? Are you really training that AI on your specific domain that comes with your software? Like Jasper is the, the classic victim of this, you know, and they. They have their own formatting and templates and prompting that they've built around it. But how much of Jasper's actual AI training that they've done with GPT gets into the parlance of marketing triggers, gets into the to the actual language of what matters to each brand or each industry even? It's not there. You know, you really don't have that what I would call almost bespoke customization that you would see for a particular sector. And so for me, it's just another shrink wrap version. It's fake AI. It's just GPT, you know, filtered through your little prompt template. And, and maybe that's oversimplification by, it is oversimplification, but in their case, but generally speaking, that's what we're seeing across the board. It's not real. Everybody's catching up to it. And even open AI is catching up to it effectively trying to wipe them out with the create your own GPT type of platform yeah you know and it's i think it's interesting again i feel like your point here about fake ai and the kind of the the proliferation of gpt wrappers and anybody with any kind of software product has to essentially have a story going into the market about when where and how they've got ai integrated and what does it do and where does it do it and what does it provide and all that kind of crap um is also in a lot of ways a, an, an artifact, or maybe even more than an artifact, of that AI horse race, right? It's not at the model level, but the applications level. Um, you know, this idea that if you are a technology vendor, you had better have an answer to, and how does your platform use AI? And unfortunately, what you're saying, and I don't disagree, is many of these vendors went for the easiest possible answer. <laughs> so rather than trying to make a smart, strategic, well-thought-out decision about what AI adds to the core functionality of their package, how it provides key value to their customers. Instead, they went with sort of the cheap, the easy, wrap the GPT in a little bit of window dressing and say we've got a chat bot. Right. Um, or say we can generate some kind of content asset, whether it's a customer service response or an email or a blog post or an Instagram caption or whatever. And you're right that GPTs, the self-serve 
um, opportunity anyone has now if you're on ChatGPT Plus to or Enterprise to create your own sort of pseudo custom trained chatbot blows a lot of that out of the water um, but also more importantly you know when you think about what happened last week the week before it feels like a year ago but it was just the last week or two with open ai and the potential that that we company could have really yeah. gone sideways and pear-shaped you know if you've built something around their LLM, you've got to be asking yourself, do I have a business or do I basically have a hobby here? Because, you know, anything could have happened. Right. 100%. We've talked a lot about that in episode 19, yeah. folks. So if you're interested to get into that GPT model, definitely check that out. Um, okay. Should we All go right. to number three? Let's go to the next one. I guess right. you, you want to lead on this one? I'll lead on number three. Um, so I think actually your last comment segued pretty well to this because I think that the next big trend that we really saw unfold through the year was the struggle to define ethical AI. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we had at first, you know, uh, what's the source material for this? How is this coming up with voices? Why, why am I able to create images of Donald Trump getting arrested or the Pope in a puffer. So we had like some initial like, hey, where, where is the source content coming from? Intellectual property types of issues, which are still ongoing, by the way. Absolutely. I mean, they haven't gone anywhere uh, and they haven't been answered successfully. And right. I don't see OpenAI necessarily doing that effectively yet. But then also, you know, as time moved on, there's this, this kind of like put down the field approach that, um, a lot of the vendors in uh, in the space took, which was, hey, we want to be regulated, right? We want to see how uh, uh, the government's going to protect civilians. We can't do it ourselves. Basically, we don't want to be responsible for this, right, right? right? We just want to make money. We don't care about this. And I don't think that that's got flying too well with the general public. And, uh, and I think that as we saw kind of with the successive ways of EU and then over the past month, uh, uh, administration types of AI initiatives, we're not seeing really strong answers on that yet. Right. And, and then finally, as this year progressed, and then we had the Altman drama, which was about ethics, where the board basically called him out in a lot of ways, not trusting him to do the right thing, based on the mission of creating AI that'll benefit humanity. And what ended up happening was the investors got involved with the Altman firing and the board got kicked out and he's reinstated without having ethics right, hanging over those guardrails. Right. Yeah. 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 I absolutely think ethics is a big issue or not big. Well, big topic for the year. A hundred percent. I also think it's notable that the conversation is happening now. And what I mean by that is, you know, we are in this first year of the Gen AI revolution. Right. And we're already talking about things like 
copyright and uh, intellectual property and ethics and responsible use and um, the near-term harms. Forget about the doomerism, existential risk stuff, the near-term harms, right? Is there bias baked in? Is it harmful to certain populations? Um, is there an environmental impact? Are, um, you know, are um, third world workers, for example, developing world workers being... Um, What's the right word? Being uh, exploited um, in the development and the and the the testing of these models and so on and so forth. The fact that we're having that conversation now, I think, is important because oh, yeah. obviously, with social media, for example, things went on for decades, right? And that is and that's had so many detrimental effects and you can argue of course for the positive side of social media but so many detrimental effects loneliness and depression and body dysmorphism body and right all this stuff that's happening in social the misinformation disinformation manipulation the fact that we're talking about these things and more around ai in these very early days i think is a notable pattern for 2023 yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, and I was going to say the other thing that I think in this plays to the kick the curb, uh, the curb, kick the can down the road comment you made is I think it's already becoming evident to a lot of marketers. I mean, a lot of probably a lot of businesses and individuals, but businesses in general, but certainly for marketers, it is becoming evident that regardless of what happens. Uh, you know, in terms of regulation, regardless of what happens, what are you just dropping stuff? I'm just uh, dropping. I'm just dropping everything. Stopping, dropping, and rolling. So, anyway, regardless of what happens with regulation, regardless of what the my new um, webcam sucks. The, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of what the foundational model developers do in terms of you know their you know, regulate regulating the models themselves, regardless of what kind of ethical stance or responsibility the application providers have, at the end of the day. You as the user are going to have to take ultimate responsibility for the decisions you make and the actions you take. And yeah. that means you've got to do better diligence into the technologies you choose to bring in-house. You've got to do better diligence into the part the application companies you partner with. You've got to do better, harder work around creating your own guidelines and guardrails and policies. You've got to do much better at governance inside your own organization in terms of how you use these things. And you've got to remain true and committed to what matters to you as a brand. Now, of course, you can argue there are plenty of unethical brands out there, but you know, if you're a brand and you have no problem trouncing on customer data and manipulating customer behavior and doing things that cross the line again and again and again and again because you frankly don't care and just want to make your buck, you're probably going to feel the pain in the marketplace right. um, in a way that Sam Altman is not going to feel the pain. So as a marketer, I think the kind of coming out of this year-long debate around ethics and responsibility is that at the end of the day as a marketer, you are responsible for you. 
And regardless of what anybody else does, you've got to take that responsibility. And I think brands are starting to see that and are having that conversation. Well, it's also... I think the ethics part of it, and we should we should move on to your number three soon. Yep. But the ethics part of it is um, the, one of the big reasons why enterprise adoption of AI is slower than many people anticipated. Because frankly, I mean, part of being in business is managing risk, and there is great risk when you look at customer data and also liability from stealing content. And so, rightly so, I think that a lot of legal teams have said, like, hey, have we thought this through? Uh, Are are we doing the right thing to protect ourselves here? My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. My number three, and I'll tell you, I've look, I've got notes. I've, I've actually written my notes out. Oh my um, God. <laughs> I actually had, I actually had six, but I'm not going to share all of them. And I'll I be, five, I five. And, and I'll confess, I'll confess. One of them was also the ethics conversation. All right. Um, I'm going to go out. in, a, I'm going to go in a different direction with this one. Um, what number was, what number was your ethics? They, it was number, well, they weren't really in, I wouldn't say they were like in rank order necessarily, oh, but man, in, you got to get up on your sports but podcasting. In, but in but in ter- <laughs> in, ter- in terms of the order in which I wrote it down, I had it in number four. Okay, um, and the one that I'm going to share, actually, though, I have in number six, and I think it's particularly relevant, obviously, to marketers. And bear with me because I'm going to frame it one way, but I'm actually talking about something a little bit broader than what than it's going to sound. So. My number, th- new number three, <laughs> is yeah. the Coke Bain OpenAI partnership. Now, okay. for me, it's not necessarily about that specific partnership, right? Uh, because I think it's you know that's almost an emblem of the broader story around how quickly marketers kind of grabbed onto op- uh, onto generative AI and started to experiment and to try and to at least attempt to make sense of this and see how it might be useful from a practical operational standpoint in marketing. But what I think the, the Coke partnership did really was it kind of galvanize the market, right? When you have an organization as prominent, a brand, a marketing organization, as prominent as the Coca-Cola company, and they say, we're going in and we're going in big, 
I mean, it's that, like them, Procter Gamble, like that level right. brand. Right? And Procter and Gamble is still very much trying to figure this out. Right. Um, you know, so for Coke to kind of take the vanguard position here, you know, I, and to announce it in such a big public way, because you say we're partnered with Bain, all of a sudden, that's like mad money, right? Everyone yeah. knows you're spending big money. You better do something big. And what happened on the heels of that, you know, we know that they're, to my knowledge, still one of the only major brands that has a head of marketing AI. Um, you know, everybody else is kind of wondering how do we structure our department? They've got a guy, they put him in the role, right? Um, right. But then they also, also, I think in a lot of ways, force them to actually get out there and make their experimentation public. And right. the things that they've done have gone well beyond the easy and the obvious, can we save time writing blog post stuff, right? The first thing that they came out, out of the gate with was Coke Masterpiece, right? The, the video it's now a TV spot, but it was originally an online video where they integrated generative AI into the workflow, right? And it wasn't like just cheap, let's make a cheap ad, right? Um, I know, I know, but they, <laughs> they right, because they integrated MidJourney and ChatGPT and Dolly or whatever they did from a Gen AI standpoint alongside traditional CGI and motion graphics and live actors. It was not a cheap commercial, um, but it was an effective demonstration of how AI can work into a creative workflow. They've done those UGC contests, Create Real Magic, where they've incorporated AI there into basically a proven social social media engagement formula. Um, They've done AI co-created product with X3000, their AI generated soda of the future, which I understand tastes disgusting, but nonetheless, they're using it as a, I mean, it's, it's available. You could buy it on the shelf, but also, yeah. but also they're using it essentially as a marketing cornerstone in an attempt to essentially build engagement with younger generations. So right. they're doing a lot of stuff, right? So that's product innovation. That's creative innovation. It's, enhancing and accelerating even traditional creative ideas. And I think that's pretty notable. Right. I think it's interesting. It'd be great to see more brands doing it, you know, and I think one of the things that they had the potential to do and Kia too. remember when Kia announced and sure. never had saw Kia develop their right. AI um, or release it yet. They had the opportunity to really kind of lead the, the charge down the road. And instead, what's happened so far is that they're more like Dell when Dell first was vlogging with Scoble. Um, and we know Scoble's got his own stuff. And, you know, this is not to put him on a pedestal. Far from it. But, you know, he, he was a leader. Right. And yep. everybody was like, wow, what are these crazy people at Microsoft doing with this guy and his video camera? But within two, three years, everybody was doing it. And right. I, again, this gets back to the AI adoption curve where everybody thought it's going to be happening faster than it did. You know, a lot of brands have not had the risk tolerance to innovate like that publicly. Right, right. I, I would agree with that. I will give you a caveat, though. Um, as you know, I've been doing a bunch of work with the Association of National Advertisers, the ANA. Right. Um, and um, one of the things I've been working on for them, which will be released sometime in December, is sort of a use case library. 
Um, and it's got, I don't know, close to 100 different marketing use cases identified. But here's what's here's the important part that's relevant is right. as part of that, we wanted to include actual real live examples of that use case in action. Great. And I, I found close to 50 real examples of marketers doing things all across the spectrum from using it in strategic planning to using it for analytics to all the creative stuff in between. And here's the interesting thing. If you dig hard enough, the majority of these, let's say 50 case studies actually yep. have <laughs> metrics attached to them. And I know we complained about that in our 10 obstacles uh, episode a while back, but right. I think what's happening now is while everything you're saying is true and maybe Coke leading the parade, everybody's way behind um, right. is on the consumer side, maybe is they're starting to kind of take those steps and they might be experimenting a bit more conservatively, but I'm starting to feel some hope that they're actually experimenting in a way that's grounded in some sort of marketing objective. And they're at least attempting to measure whether or not using AI has helped them achieve that objective so i think we're getting there and i Pretty think cool. that's really part of the story that you know experimentation has to lead to systematic use right being more strategic objective driven all of that and i think we are starting to get there so maybe that's sort of the story behind the story this podcast is heard along the marketing podcast network for more great marketing podcasts visit marketingpodcasts.net